Hello and welcome to our invite-only podcast with me, Nicola Fahey. And me, Laura Armstrong. This week we chatted to the amazing Dame Kelly Holmes, who opened up for the first time about finding love after she bravely came out last year. She also told us how the COVID-19 pandemic triggered a horrifying relapse, which saw her contemplate self-harm and even suicide before she sought professional help. And she revealed her hopes that her story, told in her new memoir, Unique, will help others through their own battles. Well, Dame Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today on the Invite Only podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. We're excited to talk about the memoir Unique, which is being released on the 9th of November. Yes, correct. 9th of November, that's come around pretty quick. It was such an emotional read, so many highs and lows and just so powerful. How did it feel getting it all out there? Um, yeah, it was a really interesting uh, process because I'd written my autobiography back in 2005. So, of course, never thought that I'd then go and write another memoir about me. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because as we go through life and get older, so many different circumstances come in to light and obviously mine's had a lot of kind of levels and I feel like I'm on like about fifth life really so um an interesting process and the best best life that's it yeah the best life I mean yeah it's weird takes a while to get to it each stage I think I've had something good and then something really bad or you know you have highs and lows don't you in your journey I suppose the difference is mine can be documented whereas others don't get the chance but you know, when you write, read through it, you just think, oh, my gosh, yeah. Oh, I remember all of these things that I've kind of done, um, been successful at, but also struggled through. But I suppose that's the book. And how does it feel looking back now, having brought out this new memoir, looking back on the person you were when you wrote the last one? Yeah, I mean, because when I wrote the last one, um, I was still, I think a lot of people thought it would be a sports book when I wrote my biography. And it wasn't. It was still very much a life book. And I think it was just because I'd had, again, so so many different parts of my life of a sports person, having been served in the military, you know, my upbringing, and then and saying in that first book that I'd had sort of a breakdown, a mental health problem, which wasn't ever spoken about in the world of sport, but actually in society, we didn't talk about it. So actually, in context, it was me. But I suppose on the other side of it, the massive part of who I am being a gay woman and then the complexities of not being able to talk about that of course have led to this book because they led to a lot more emotional circumstances over the past few years Um, and that's why the difference is that I'm kind of reliving or re-mentioning some of the things that have already been out there but a bit more in depth yeah you know a bit more kind of rather than this happened that happened that happened I'm actually giving the background to something that happened so that very different process And of course, there's some real home truths coming out here as well about what you went through during COVID. One of the chapters is called Rock Bottom and you're very, very candid about what you went through at that time. How was it to talk about that? Yeah, because I think, um, you know, we all dealt with COVID very differently, didn't we, that time? You know, we look back on it and it's a real memory for us all. And I think sometimes we look back and think, did this actually happen? But I suppose with my lockdown initially... I really loved it, you know, because it was sort of summer. I was doing call sessions and sharing my alpacas at seven and eight o'clock in the morning and have all these people, just random people chatting to you. It was like, it was a lot of fun. You know, I loved it. Blue skies, you know, birds singing. I think it was brilliant. And then 
obviously I got COVID. I was having a couple of operations on my Achilles and that was stopping me doing what I was doing with the fitness. Then I got COVID. And then, yeah, it all sort of went downhill from that point, um, sort of October of 2021 or wherever we are now. 2020, I don't even know the dates anymore. Um, yeah, it all sort of went downhill because from an emotional point of view, I think I became very uh, internal with my thoughts. You know, you one minute watching the news and it was really depressing and you're seeing all these deaths and I'm laying sort of, couldn't move for about three weeks and thinking, God, you know, when I die, all these, my friends and family who I love very much are all going to be saying how sad it was that I couldn't live my life, you know, and I'm like, hold on, that's my right. And just suddenly sort of, not suddenly, because of course I'd thought about it for years, but it made me real kind of think about, I should be able to t talk about my life, not other people talk about it. And that started the journey of the spiraling down before it went back up. People do say, don't they, that although it's horrendous to reach rock bottom, it is important because it then triggers you to be able to reach out for help. And it was a real low for you, wasn't it? Like to the extent that you you had a relapse and were contemplating self-harm again. Yeah, I mean, I was probably contemplating a bit more than that, to be honest, because on the night when I really struggled, I literally was, as I said in the book, called and pinning myself down in the bed because I could spiritually see myself going downstairs to the door. One, hadn't set up since my mum passed away. And then secondly, I just thought, oh, I can't cope with this any longer. It takes an incredible amount of strength to stop yourself from doing that. How do you feel looking back that you had that restraint? And what do you think gave you that strength? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as humans, we are quite strong if we realise that we have something else to hold on for. And whilst, you know, you can literally lose it on one side of you and your senses go and the irrational thoughts come in the other side is that you don't really want to do it but you're kind of almost like drawn to the bad side of your thoughts and I think you know obviously yeah, I'm proud of myself for remaining as strong as I could but at that time it didn't feel like strength you know it was almost that I just knew that I had to change my way of living to become me for me to get out of the hole that I was getting myself into, you know, and I suppose, yeah, I just, I just knew I needed to do something, you know, and kind of even, I think I put in the book about emailing a psychologist and reason before, even though I've had lots of mental health problems, you know, being clinically depressed, I've had breakdowns, I've had lots of other things. Um, I think, Writing that email was one of the biggest and hardest steps at the time because I'd always thought that even if I'd gone to a psychologist over the years, they could out me. And that word out for somebody who's, you know, from the LGBTQIA plus community is like one thing, the worst thing that can ever happen to someone. So in my head, again, irrational thoughts were, I can't tell anyone outside of my circle, but I had to that night because I just felt I needed to, I needed that professional help. One of the things that really hit me incredibly hard reading the book is that fear that you can feel. It's obviously really well written because you, you can sort of really feel it's kind of like a terror of that happening, of you being yeah. you know, found out. Yeah, it was. It really was. And, you know, that had been a long time coming. You know, I'd always thought somebody one day that I'd been in the army with or, you know, kind of known and had relationships were, uh, could. But then I equally knew how hard it is. Like when you are gay or whatever you identify as, 
um, other people around you, like especially my era, um, would also have a, they'd have to really be not a nice person to kind of then do a story. And I kind of gathered with the people that I'd seen, you know, they had lots to lose as well because, you know, firstly, if they admitted that they were seeing, had been seeing me in Kelly Holmes, that would have caused maybe issues in their own relationships or, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, why didn't you tell me? Is that sort of thing. So I can't, and some of them are professional. So I just thought, oh, no, but yeah, it's that point of, I was so scared, you know, the army, the impact of the army, you know, being 22 and being raided and for those that get to read the book, but listening to this, you know, when you're raided and that was a very first stage really I mean I had it relatively easy compared to a lot of veterans but being raided was as though if somebody's in your house when you get home and they are literally ransacking it but the perpetrators are still there and they're literally in your ear they're trying to find something out they're trying to intimidate you trying to sort of bully you into saying something that actually is not that bad but you feel like I can't because you lose your career your job and you haven't actually done anything really bad. So it's almost like more like a persecution. Yeah. Uh, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, it wasn't good. I mean, you know, and I suppose just young, I was just, it's scary. Do you still have any sort of trauma from living that? Or is it something that you've been able to compartmentalise now and move on from? Um, I think right now I have because I got the opportunity during the year when I was doing the LGBT veterans of you to speak to a couple of other veterans. And there's one in particular that I feel like I had a, almost a sliding door moment with because 10 years prior, she was at the same barracks as me, had been raided, but she's lived a life of mental health trauma um, where she's had supported accommodation. Her twin sister who served has to look after her. She was uh, jailed, sexually abused, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like almost... It sounds strange, but survivor's guilt, because the thing is, I went on to have a successful career. So even though it it, it traumatised me and left me with fear for 34 years because I was still worried that I could be jailed or something, which is just crazy to even think that I did, I also felt like it took the wind out of me when I spoke to um, this lady because I was just thinking, like, how close I was to losing everything. But actually, I went on to still be successful. So... It, no, no one has a worse journey because it's only your own that can be bad. But when you listen to other people, when you see it, and if you've got a, like a empathy thing, I feel like, you know, switch on, cry at everyone's story. <laughs> you know, it hit me quite hard, that period. But now, of course, I've moved on. I know that I'm not going to be in trouble. I've gone through that process of speaking to other people. And I had to speak to my counsellor after speaking to some of the veterans because it was very triggering to hear it back again that not just me but everybody's journey and how it's affected lots of people's lives and it still it did affect mine. Are you hoping that in being so open about it in this memoir it will help people who have gone through similar experiences? Obviously your story is very much your own but elements of people being frightened to tell their own truth particularly with some of the mental health struggles you discuss is that what was in the back of your mind? Yeah always I think um, you know it's important for people to reach out and to speak and the more people speak the more you realise you're not alone. And I felt like, you know, when I first talked about mental health problems, it was off the back of winning two gold medals. And the reason why I put that in my last book originally was the fact that, you know, yeah, I know I achieved something good and I'm not going to belittle my achievement. I mean, it was like amazing to win two gold medals in that same games. But equally, I was put 
on a quite a high pedestal of being invincible and whatever. And I was like, but actually, all I was is somebody that worked extremely hard, never gave up on the dream, went through highs and lows, you know, like the shit that life can give you, but I still come out on top. And it was about that strength of character that does it. And it's almost like the same with this is that, you know, fear is anything. Any any type of fear is debilitating for people. Um, but if you can listen and get strength off of other people who had that premise to do it and then how their life has changed after because no one sees the after because you're worried about the after before you've got there and when you are there you just think oh my god you know like half the fears weren't really logical or they shouldn't have been there but it's hard when you're in that moment but I think with mental health I think that's important and then with uh yeah like with um sort of being from the community as such or you know being a gay woman it's you know, that is very complex for a lot of people. You know, I was very lucky to have my family and friends uh, always behind me, but I know how much people struggle and it's still a lot of stigma and bullying and bias and judgment. And, uh, yeah, I think hopefully, and I know I've had a lot of people come to me who have said thank you for coming out because it's helped me do change my life and be me as well, and that's amazing to hear. It just shows the power of talking, doesn't it? Because when you were at your lowest uh, during COVID, you turned to Jessie Nelson's psychologist at first because you'd watched her documentary and it resonated with you and that led you to seek your own help. And it's so powerful. Yeah, it really is, you know, because I never knew who to speak to. I didn't, I just didn't know who I could approach as a psychologist. And then I just found... I saw that she'd work with someone in the public eye and I think that was one of the barriers is like, you know, if you're in the public eye, what do you do? How do you cope with that? So I went to her originally and I think the message really is that always try different people. I mean, I'm glad that I reached out because it gave me the courage to then talk to professionals. But for me personally, I needed to find somebody else that I felt can connect with me. And so it's not that that psychologist wasn't a good psychologist, just wasn't right for me. And that's like another message for people that absolutely, um, you know, reach out for help, whether that's friends, family, charities or professionals, but it might take one or two to actually find someone that you connect with because that's so important when you're pouring your heart out and you're so scared that you feel that that person is absolutely got your back. There's a real two sides of the coin with your experience, isn't there? Um, because with the pandemic on one hand, you reached a point where you were at rock bottom and that was obviously the point that enabled you to come back up. But on the other hand, it's enabled you to meet your partner, Louise. Yeah, it's um, yeah, strange things happened, didn't they? <laughs> that was through Military in Motion, wasn't it? The fitness series that you were yeah, doing? Yeah. yeah, so I'd moved my um, going on Instagram, doing call in the morning to asking people if they fancied doing Zoom. You know, everything, everyone wants shares in Zoom now, I think, because it became like the thing to do, right? No one knew about it. <laughs> and then... You and Joe Wicks. Exactly. And then suddenly I'm on the screen, there's just all these boxes, you know, and they've all become friends of mine. It just happened. And, and to be honest, you know, doing that fitness community, they didn't know how much I they were helping me. I know how much I was helping them because, you know, we were hearing stories of their life. I was privileged to go into their rooms as such. And you can tell what people are like and their lifestyles and things on, you know, on some Zooms because it was very early days. And also, you know, I was hearing real in-depth stories about 
some struggling, some have had vasectomies, some are, you know, their partners or so many things. And at night time, when I did this thing called night crawl, which was like a fitness, come have a drink, come chit chat night on a Friday night, <laughs> which I loved. It was brilliant. I was dressing up at all sorts uh, of characters, um, like a mad woman. I was going mad, literally, um, you know, doing this. And then, you know, I'm having these conversations till midnight, you know, with these random people. And Lou just happened to be one of those random people. But the thing is, I never actually spoke to her. Of all the people, you know, I had few hundred people and sometimes on a regular night about 80 on a night call who were just literally committed to doing this evening never spoke to Lou <laughs> so it was a slow burn yeah it was a slow <laughs> yeah it was a slow burn <laughs> yeah I think that's the thing you just I certainly wasn't looking for a relationship out of uh locked lockdown as such it wasn't like that it's just um you end up connecting you know people come together in real time after during some of those breaks, still didn't speak to her either. Um, and just happened to be that a few of us all started getting on with each other. You know, you do, you find a personality, don't you? And, you know, like I've got a group called Inner Circle and they're the ones that are sort of the closest ones from uh, Military in Motion who all, we all live in the same area, have all become friends and lose now obviously one of them. So It's funny, isn't it? They always say that when you're not looking for romance is when it happens. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think with relationship-wise, um, I I never knew how I would meet someone if you're not open, like how do you meet someone? So a lot of the partners that I had were very circumstantial. They had, had got to know someone through somebody who was more of a close-knit reason rather than, you know, I never went on apps or whatever. And um, a lot of the times... You kind of try and make things work because you want to be in relation. No one wants to be on their own to totally, even if it's just company or, you know, emotional support. And I think I met people and the hardest thing was that, that I most I met was meeting people after I won my golds, to be honest. Um, because in the army, it's sort of, I don't know, just sort of, I was I don't want to be detrimental to say it's that slings, but like if you're going to move each time, you never really have a massive relationship when you can't even be gay. And then you meet someone and then you move to a next barracks. You kind of that relationship's over, you know what I mean? But it was sort of more friendships. And then I, I met uh, my first partner before I uh, left, the, well, when I left the army. And then, um, and then other partners I've met are literally being, yeah, like I say, through someone because I never thought. And then you make, you try and find that thing that connects you. And actually, you're not right together, you know, and first six months, it's all great. They all go, oh, I know you're not out and don't want to be out, blah, blah, blah. And then after six months, it's all, you know, they're losing their identity. They feel they feel invisible. And I'm like, but you knew what? <laughs> so it becomes conflict all the time. And that's why I pretty much had conflict all the time with relationships. And that wasn't, you know, a nice place to be, really. I just never knew. The, fun the funniest thing is now I'm out. I can't believe how many people. <laughs> Actually, I met all these, like literally, high performers, business people. I go to the Attitude Awards, LGBT Awards, and I meet all these people in the public. I'm like, how did I not know you were gay? Like, I think I must have had literally <laughs> this brick wall in front of all my eyes. Like, even being on Loose Women, when I talk about stuff, they said, have you lived your life under a rock? I'm like, I think I am. Like, seriously, I meet these people and I see them in the public eye and somebody goes, oh, she's gay. She's by, she's whatever. And I'm like, 
I literally have no idea. I'm so bad. I'm like, why did I know this? I think you do. You go in life and when you have to completely lock yourself up, you look yourself up to any exposure. You just don't look for it. And I can't believe that literally that was me. I'm so Honestly, I laugh at myself now and everyone laughs at me when they go, how did you not know? She's in the news or she's there. I said, I don't know. I literally didn't know. <laughs> it must be so liberating now to have a relationship and be in the open and not have to worry about the things that you worried about before, you know, people not knowing. Yeah. I mean, it took a while, you know, even after doing my documentary and doing the Sunday Mirror article, it still took a while. I mean, I went away for three weeks uh, to America just to get away because I was just like, now what? And also, you know, you can't just change a narrative in one second. I might have come out, you know, and did a documentary, which was a process, but then to have a normal conversation, still think, oh, actually, now I can say it's okay. That did take a while. Um, you know, what am I over a year now? And now it's okay. I'll just say whatever I want to say, you know. And Do you think your relationship with Lou would have developed as it has if you hadn't come out publicly? Do you, do you think it would have taken the same path? Um, no, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, she's just a different person. She's a nice person as well, you know, not to say that others weren't. <laughs> it helps having a nice person. You know, somebody that doesn't want anything, doesn't like, really not interested in, like, my 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 side of me, my work, my work side of me, not interested in that whatsoever, you know, doesn't care about coming to big events, doesn't really want to be in the limelight, you know, she's she's from a small place, Northern Ireland's just a, you know, normal person, so. And you're moving in with Lou, um, which is always a very big step. Have you ever lived with anybody before or is this going to be the first time? No, people have descended on me before, just never had the conversation about moving in. <laughs> You do seem really happy though, which is lovely. Your face lights up when you're talking about her, which is really nice to see. Yeah, you know, I'm just happy. I just, I literally, I take one step at a time these days. It's one stage at a time. You know, happy with Lou. She's coming over to England, new for her. And let's see what happens. You know, I'm, I'm not going to preempt. I'm not going to wish. I'm not going to weather because I didn't know if even three years ago, my life would have changed this dramatically. So the thing is, yeah, it's great. But, you know, I came out because I had to come out. I didn't come out for somebody. It just makes it a lot easier and nicer being with somebody that we really get on with and, you know, just likes me for me. But who knows what's around the corner? I hope it really works. But I'm not going to put pressure on myself or her to say this is forever. And hopefully it is, but who knows? And the thing is, there's no point in me doing that because at this stage of my life, I've had such big impacts that, I just want to be happy with what's happening now and then let's see, you know. I think as well, you've spoken a bit in the book about your friends, um, your particular group of friends who supported you during this time. So we have Alan Carr, Kelly Hoppen and Emily Sande. And I think you weren't really into celebrity friends before. So it must have been great to have their support. Yeah, I mean, so I've known Kelly Hoppen for years and uh, because out of, have anyone that's ever made me lose my breath thinking, oh my God, I'm sitting next to whatever was Kelly Hoppin, believe it or not. I always loved interior design. I always got all of her books and I went to this woman awards once and I saw a name on a little thing sitting next to me and I was just like, oh my God, 
happened. It's the bizarrest thing because everyone's going, well, all these people you've met. And it's like, and it's like I know, but I just have all her books. It was just really random. Anyway, I told her like, I was fangirling and, <laughs> and we became friends. And then she just invites me to the odd thing. And it's so weird because I look at my friendship groups and I have got, I'm so lucky to have really good friends. But you know, I have my at-home friends and then, you know, now. I mean, the thing is, everyone was just a close-knit group of friends. In my family, I would have classed as my friends because I never went out socially with people that were outside of that. It was all very much on work. But Kelly just happened to invite me to a few things and she's sort of like the posh friend side. <laughs> and uh, and um, I remember her once, once, years ago, saying to me, um, ask me, are you, I think she just sort of, it was in a party and she was a bit drunk. She said, are you gay? Like that. And I just went, and I walked off. She never brought it up again. And I never, I never like, even got there. And then um, over the years, then I went to her CBE party and that's when I met Alan Carr. And we were at the CBE party, hers. And Alan was there and I took Lou and I just thought, and also um, uh, Boy George was there. And I kind of, I don't know, I don't know why, but I just sort of, Boy George seems, I really like him, but it seems like I don't want him to think I was fanning because I don't think he likes the sort of fanny bit people going around him. So I just said, oh, hi, hi, um, hi, it's Kelly, um, Dame Kelly here. I know who you are. I said, oh, this is my partner, Lou. And then he just really relaxed straight away. It was just really nice. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm just going to you know, but I knew that was going to come out. You know, I knew I was I was already doing the doc, so it's kind of it was okay. And then Alan, and then Alan, I went and watched over here in Belfast at one of his shows, and then we had a drink after. Uh, I went to have breakfast with him the next day, and he was just lovely. And then he agreed to do my doc. But I'm not. It's not about. It wasn't really about the fact that it's showing up there celebs. It's more the fact that you know when you're in the public eye, you appreciate that people know about how hard it is to sometimes be exposed or to, and I wanted to ask, especially his opinion on the fact that, you know, what would it be like? You know I mean? What do you think he, what is, what do he think? Or, you know, how does he think people will react? And he was just so lovely. So don't care about what other people think, you know, it was, but it was just nice. And I just felt like I needed that piece. And then Emily, I mean, I'd known Emily before anyway. Um, and only just, I suppose, just before Pride last year, uh, because she invited me to one of her launch parties. But that's because I was hoping she might be in my dock, but she just couldn't because she was doing her album. And then I just got to know her. And I think the reason why I, it's twofold. I mean, I've been a fan of hers for years and her music and her songs, especially Read All About It, which was like, like, felt like my song. <laughs> um, uh, I'd kind of appreciated the fact that songs connect. You know, songs are emotive, aren't they? Really high or low. Yeah. And then meeting her at Pride and then actually being on stage while she sings that song. I thought, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> I think you said you were listening to that song, right? You were reading your Sunday Mirror front page when um, the story was about to break and you were reading her lyrics and singing them out loud. Yeah, I did because I literally felt like I was shouting that out. Like it, I was shouting those words out while people might be reading it. Uh, it's just a bizarre period of my time, that little, you know, piece of 
waiting. The worst thing was, was that I'd had in my head documentaries coming out June the 26th. So I got, I kind of got to this, okay, it's coming out breathing. And then they said, oh, no, you need to do a newspaper article a week before. I was like, no. And I was just like, this can't happen. And of course, it had to happen. And then I was petrified. I didn't go out for that week before, like, um, a documentary because I was just thinking, now what? I can't. I mean, I can't go out. Like, looking at my Instagram thinking, oh, God, what are people going to say? You know, it's like weird. It's just, I don't know. Like, I'm an adult. Yeah, I was so scared of every part of the journey. It's amazing that you met and amazing that you did it, though. And what's next for you? Are you planning on more TV work? What comes next? I'm actually in Panto. Oh, my God. Oh, yes, I am. Um, Panto. And then uh, I want to do t- more television work. So I feel like within my book, I do cover a lot of different subjects, you know, I cover about being in the care home, cover mental health awareness, cover LGBT, I cover fitness, you know, and I kind of want to explore different areas of each of those. Like I like documentaries. I love real stories. I like exploring things. So I think hopefully I can do a little bit of more of that. Uh, I do public speaking for a living and uh, that's obviously gone mad. I mean, it already was so busy. But now I've added on the piece around diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, I'm also not fearful of talk about Black Lives Matter, which was really difficult subject for me to talk about before, given my upbringing in, you know, Kent. <laughs> um, but now I feel like being a voice, I want to be a voice for those that don't have one, don't get a chance, hopefully be a, you know, a reliable and trusted voice but I don't care anymore what I say I can literally just say what I want to say now which is cool have you ever been approached to consider something like Strictly because I think that's such a groundbreaking show you know we've got LGBTQ plus relationships we've got disability being shown it's just breaking boundaries yeah I've got I've been asked like pretty much every year for <laughs> many years and I'm a celeb I don't know I felt like so I did go on dancing last years and years and years ago, but it only just started. So it was sort of like very new. No one really knew about it. I didn't play the game of the TV world. And I had no idea. You know what I mean? Didn't really like the process of it because coming from in focus sport to the sort of flouncy TV world where you had to sort of play out, just didn't get it. Now, of course, play the game a little bit better. But I feel like uh, I'm a celebrity strictly at the time were too intrusive. And I felt by going on them, that opened me up too much for my comfort. Um, also, I'm such a baby. I can't. I scream at everything. Like literally, I, I scream any anything that came near me. I would scream like a baby. Like everyone thinks I'm really hard, but I'm not. I'm such a wimp. Like, rats, snakes. Like uh, if anything comes, it's like even off milk. I'm literally, literally, literally throwing up. So can you imagine me drinking that. I, my mum said, don't ever go on it. She said, you can, don't ever go on it because show yourself up or you'd be TV gold. <laughs> I was like, yeah, because I do everything. I hate water. I'm afraid of drowning. Like, I hate everything. I wouldn't chuck myself out of a bungee jump or out of a helicopter. No chance. <laughs> so, but never say never because you'll probably see me like one day on it and go, she said she'd never do it. It'd be like, okay. <laughs> so never say never. But at the moment, I haven't yet been convinced. Oh, definitely. It's strictly then. Strictly, kind of, but you have to give a lot of time, don't you? Yeah, you a long know? time. Again, one, one day. <laughs> well, watch this space. Watch this space. 
Thank you so much for coming on our podcast, Dame Kelly. We've really loved having you and all the best with the memoir. We can't wait to see it hit the shops. Thank you so much. Thanks very much, Kelly.